1: Welcome everybody to Nightlight. Thanks so much for sharing your time with us. We greatly appreciate that. We know how precious time is and for you to share it with us. We are so honored. I want to thank first uh, uh, Ken QuietHawk for his amazing intro. As always, you can find him at his uh, website, nativestorytellers.com. He and his wife are Native Storytellers and they show us an alternative way of preserving, preserving history, cosmology, and, and legends um, in a far more enjoyable way of relating them. And uh, I think in many ways, much preferable to the school books that our children are reading today. But that's for another show. Tonight, we have forensic geologist Scott Walter, who is the host of the Travel Channel's hit show, American Unearthed which follows him on his quest to uncover the truth behind historic artifacts and sites found throughout North America. Scott is also the author of several books, including The Kensington Runestone Compelling New Evidence, The Hooked X, Key to the Secret History of North America, Akhenaten to the Founding Fathers, The Mystery of the Hooked X, and The Cryptic Code of the Templars in America, Origins of the Hook X Symbols. I read all the books and I have found them all fascinating and I highly recommend them. Scott has been president of American Pectograph Services Incorporated since 1990 and has been the principal petrographer in more than 7,000 investigations throughout the world, including the evaluation of fire damaged concrete at the Pentagon, Pentagon following the attacks of September 11, 2001. Tonight, we're going on an amazing journey with Scott throughout his newest book, Cryptic Code of the Templars in America. His, this is his third in the Hookdeck series, and it explores new scientific findings and recently discovered documents that show a vastly different story of North American history than the current narrative. The revelations in the Cryptic Code are sure to generate new discussion around the medieval Knights Templar, their job and their role, sorry, in the European exploration of North America and of the er- origins of the hook decks. And Scott's continued pursuit to understand and authenticate the Kensington runestone found in Minnesota in 1898 and the important role of the Knights Templar the Knights Templar had within history, he uncovers the layers of cryptic code that authenticate the runestone once and for all and unveils connections at one time thought unbelievable and now have become thought-provoking and much, much more. I guess it just goes to prove that Carved in Stone has many different levels of understanding and it takes new perspective to unveil all of them. So welcome to the show, Scott. I'm so glad you're here.
2: Well, that was quite an introduction, Barbara. Thank you very much.
1: I'm breathless. I'm breathless.
2: (laughs) <laughs> i I could tell that was a mouthful, but you did a great job and uh you know it's funny to hear somebody else describe this work. It's like I wonder who that is you're talking about, but um really it was uh was very very good and and um I don't know it's uh, it's been an incredible journey and and it continues and uh um I'm enjoying the ride that I can tell you for sure.
1: Well, I can tell you something that that you know, carved in stone, doesn't necessarily mean that that there's not more defini- definitions and layers to be found within what is carved in stone. I mean, you're talking about you know the Kensington Runestone, so. Um, but but I have to tell you something that that I noticed after reading all your books, and it's I know that you have become a Knight Templar. I'm uh, um, well a Mason <clears throat> and possibly a Knight Templar uh, to boot. But I've noticed that because of, of the background that you've gotten from Freemasonry, it gives you a deeper perspective into a lot of the things that you're looking into. And, um, you know, I have to tell you, it, it makes, it makes your books even more fascinating than they were before.
2: Well, you you hit the nail on the head and, uh, there, there's no question about it that becoming a Mason, and uh, I am a, uh, a Masonic Knights Templar. I've gone through all of the uh, York Rite degrees, which are amazing. And, you know, when I look back on this now with, you know, it's 20 years of hindsight now. Well, it would be 20 years in July. Um, it's It's been an incredible journey, and I think if if I had to do it all over again, I have to be honest and say I don't think I would change anything because mm-hmm. when I first started with the, with the Kensington Runestone, I never heard of it before. I didn't know what they were talking about. I had no knowledge of it and therefore no bias either way. I, I I couldn't because I'd never heard of it, and that really was the the best way to start. And and where it started was with was with the rock, the rock itself, and. You know, being a forensic geologist, I've, I've worked with rocks all my life, and, and concrete as well, which is essentially a man-made rock. And the one thing I've learned about rocks is rocks don't lie. Rocks don't care. Rocks just are. And I trust the rocks. Oh. I, I, I don't trust some people. Yeah. And and I um, when you stop and think about it from that perspective – you know the rock told me early on that that it was authentic, and from there on, I used that as my foundation and um it spoke loud and clear, and that's what led me down all these other roads and um it's it has served me well. let's put it that way,
1: well, I think the fact that that not being swayed easily by by public thought or what other people are saying, but going for just the fact. And it sounds like Dragnet, you know, just the facts, just the facts, just the facts. Right,
2: but,
0: right.
1: But but it really it really makes a difference in in looking at especially historical um, artifacts like you like you do. It's it's sort of like you know this could be this this could be that. But how what what and how much can I prove and where can I attach it to documented authentic um, statements about it. And it makes your work so much more genuine, I mean, a lot harder work, but so much more genuine.
2: Well, you know, the, the, the process of gathering facts first um, is, 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 is called scientific method. And, you know, the scientific method, the whole process of investigation doesn't matter what the subject matter is. It doesn't matter what the topic is. Um, It doesn't matter if it's a murder case or if you're investigating a rock. The process of investigation is always facts first. And, you know, if you're able to get enough facts, because in some cases it's very difficult, but the runestone, there was all kinds of facts, you know, again, starting with the rock. But what you do is you follow the facts where they take you. And it's, it's, you know, it's a simple process. And if you get enough facts then the next step is interpreting those facts and trying to make sense and understand what are they telling you, what are they telling us. And finally, if and when you have enough facts and evidence and interpretations that are all pointing in the same direction that are consistent, then you're in a position where you might be able to draw a conclusion. And, again, this is what I've done for almost 35 years, all day, every day. That's all I do and so i'm i'm actually i'm actually pretty good at it and in this case i will tell you that the kensington runestone um was one of the easiest evidence trails i've ever ever followed it went in one direction beeline, line straight to it so um and quite frankly in some ways uh, i'm surprised that others weren't able to to follow it uh the same way but um the mistakes that they made had to do with the process uh, of investigation and the facts that they collected, and they let the human element creep into their investigations more than than it should, and that's where they lost their way.
1: Well, and in a lot of ways too, you're, we're very, very, we are, we as a society are very fortunate in that a lot of the the technical stuff that has been developed lately, within the last decade or so enables you to get even further into authenticating things that in the 1800s just wasn't possible. Right. And, and and the poor farmer that dug this poor thing up, I mean, he went through decades of being called a forger and a fraud and, and everything else.
2: And his family suffered because of it. Um, yeah. You know, o- Olaf and Karen had nine children, and two of them um, committed suicide, and um even the family which we have we've talked about this the, the grandchildren and great-grandchildren uh some are still living that knew all these people agree that um at least in part um certainly uh amanda omen took her life in part due to the harassment of of academics and doubters and skeptics and and critics and people that attacked them for their father creating this this fake and it should never have happened, and it's really a tragic story in many ways, and, and I'd be lying if I said that part of my motivation is not to make sure that the truth is known, and you know, you can't go back and fix things that have already happened, but you know, I think the family appreciates the fact that the the truth is coming out, because I'll never forget the first time I met Darwin Omen, and... You know, I said, I I, I would like to look at some of the artifacts and and documents that your family has. And they had a lot of stuff. They had just never gone through it because all that material was packed in five plastic tubs. And I remember asking him, I said, why why did you guys never take a look at this stuff after we had gone through it and found really just some amazing letters and, and evidence? And he said to me, you know what, Scott? He said there were many times we thought about going through it and we just thought about all the things that had happened and we just said ah, we'll look at it next year and and <laughs> they just never got around to it and it was because there were just too many uh, painful memories in those boxes
1: Now was this the first place that you had seen the hook decks or had you seen it before?
2: No um, I didn't <laughs> heck, I didn't know what the hook decks was when I first saw the runestone, in fact I knew nothing about runes or dialect or grammar or any of that and it was because of uh, two, two people that I worked with that were uh, the world's experts at the time, uh, Professor Henrik Williams and Dr. Richard Nielsen. Uh, they knew more about medieval Scandinavian runes than, than anyone in the world. Um, Dick passed away a couple of years ago, but uh, Professor Williams is still in Sweden. But they taught me about the runes, the dialect, the grammar, the dating, and you know i don't consider myself a runologist but i know enough to be extremely dangerous and you know one of the mysteries that that was always hanging out there that nobody could figure out was what was this myster- mysterious x-shaped symbol that was being used for uh the a sound um within the inscription and they knew you know what the, what the you know the the word the, the letter was supposed to be because in the word it's the only thing it could be and they had just never seen this symbol. And I remember when we would talk about it, we didn't really know what to call it. So one day I just came up with, well, let's just call it the Hooked X. It's got that little hook on the upper right arm. Let's call it the Hook X, then we know what we're talking about. And, and it caught on. Um, so, no, I didn't know what it was then, but uh, I think I do now.
1: <laughs> well, it certainly has led you on, on an amazing journey through I mean, all over the world, actually. Um, yeah. It, I, it, it, I,
2: well, go go ahead. ahead. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> no, no. I, I, You know, to be honest with you, um, I've always been fascinated with, with how you have taken that one piece of, of, that one item and followed it all over the world, trying to figure out what it is, and you finally did, which I think is fascinating.
2: Well, you know, I <laughs> I'm pretty tenacious and, and stubborn, and, you know, the, the one thing that, that is also part of doing forensics, right, is, you know, once the, rune stone, once the stone told me that it was authentic, uh-huh. you know, and I, and I understood where it was found and, and, and a little bit of the background story, once I knew it was authentic, then I also knew that these things also had to be true. Somebody carved it. They came from some place for some reason. Those things absolutely are true, and there has to be an answer to those questions, because if it's authentic, um, that's just the way logic works. So I knew that if I followed the evidence trail, um, I, I felt confident that I would figure it out, because there's always an answer to these things, and, you know, I'm... I I'm, I'm pretty dog determined when I want to do something and if I want something bad enough I'll, I'll I'll work my fanny off to find it but logic was the driving force and um and and it happened so I I feel really good about that what I don't feel good about is you know a lot of these skeptics and and um especially the academics I mean the people that don't know what they're talking about that are alive on the internet and criticize um, they don 't matter to me because you know i, I don 't mind if somebody wants to ask me tough questions or if they disagree with something that i 've i 've done i 'm happy to talk about it in fact, if I made a mistake, please point it out to me i 'll fix it and i 'm not afraid um, to admit that I made a mistake because i 'm human, and if we have made a mistake, you know we 'll do everything we can to correct it but you know, in most cases the people that criticize me, it's not a matter of something that I did wrong or is missing. They just don't like the results. Well, <laughs> tough hop, baby. <laughs> you know what? Life is tough sometimes and you know what? If if you're wrong you're wrong and, and, and they're just flat out wrong in this case. But but they're not the ones that matter. The ones that that, that I have a, a problem with are the academics. And um you know it's really irresponsible of them to continue to maintain this position when at this point in time they have no evidence to support their position and if you think about it how could they because if the kensington runestone is indeed authentic which it is and we have all this evidence in multiple disciplines to support its authenticity then how can there be factual evidence to support the contrary but it, well, it,
1: it can't yeah.
2: exist right (laughs)
1: Right, and 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 they can't put it on your plate and serve it up to you either. I, I think that's right. One of the one of the the most for me, you know, everybody has things they look for in work like yours, and I think the thing that that among others, but the one that really most impressed me about the authenticity of your work is that you know you there were a couple of places at least one that I remember where, where you said I was wrong. And, you know, when somebody can absolutely say I was wrong, I got it wrong and here's the new direction I'm going in, that to me has greater validity than, than, than anything else. I mean, to be able to say to people, hey, I got this wrong, but this is the way I think it goes now, is so much more important than standing your ground and insisting you're right when you know you're wrong.
2: I couldn't have said it better myself Barbara that's absolutely true make no mistake I don't like being wrong I mean nobody likes to be wrong right but right. Um, it's, it's not personal and we're all human we all make mistakes now uh, what I have found is when I've made mistakes that's when I learn the most or maybe even learn the best because mm-hmm. you know you don't want to repeat a mistake and if you do make a mistake and you're corrected um, whether somebody points it out to me or I figure it out on my own um what's important is first of all i'll never forget because oh God, I screwed <laughs> that one up i'm not going to screw that up again, and um that's part of the, the the process and you know science is that way I mean what the you know no important revelation or new discovery didn't come without plenty of failures during the trial and error process. Nobody gets it right and, and, and does something amazing the first time, or rarely does that happen. You make mistakes and you learn as you go, and that's just part of the process. And, um, I, you know, that's just the way it's done. I, I, I don't have any personal investment in it. It's just it's the way it's done. It's the way it should be done.
1: Absolutely. And so what is the final, at this point, um Decision on what the Kensington runestone actually is
2: well, there's no doubt I mean the runestone has told them all along what it was um, and, and first and foremost it's a land claim i mean the first the first lo- three lines say eight Goths and twenty two Northmen on this acquisition business or taking up land um, from Vinland far to the west um, how much more clear can it be it's it's a land claim first and foremost and you know that that was an important um point because you know at that point they started looking into land claims and how was this done and what were the traditions of various countries and various orders and and various groups of people and and there's um there's a lot of different different ways that people did it but in the 14th century one of the ways they did it was by placing a land claim stone a carved stone and a tin uh, tin plate uh, plaque in a tree for redundancy so that you could in case one or you know something happened to the tin plaque you've got redundancy but they would put these things at the headwaters of river systems and thereby um, they could then claim the entire river system and all the land associated with it and I find it kind of crazy in a way that um prior to our our uh, you know myself getting involved nobody had ever looked at where the runestone was found geographically. In fact, I heard so many people say, "Well, why would they place this stone in the middle of nowhere?" Well, it's not in the middle of nowhere. It's it's on the North South Continental Divide of North America and um you know, it serves as, as, as the watershed divide for the Mississippi and Missouri watersheds all the way to the Gulf and the Red River-Hudson Bay watershed to the north. So theoretically, they could have laid, laid claim to half the continent of, of North America just with the river systems alone. And I'm kind of surprised we're the first, first ones to point that out.
1: Well, and this was basically the Louisiana Purchase.
2: Exactly. It's bigger than the Louisiana Purchase, but yes, in essence, it, it does include all the land of the Louisiana Purchase, but, and more.
1: Well, what, what prevented one country from digging up somebody else's land claim, pounding it into gravel and placing their own there?
2: Nothing. Nothing prevented them from doing it. The, the, the problem is you have to find it. And that brings up a really good point about how, how would they have found their runestone again because i believe that it was buried shallowly in the ground um you know and from that perspective you know how the heck are you going to find this thing well what we have proposed and and actually i think we proved was that there's a there's a very interesting and curious cluster of glacial boulders on the omen farm where the runestone was found actually over a dozen, I think it's about 15 of them now of these rounded triangular stone holes that can only be cut with a straight chisel and a hammer and they vary in depth anywhere from say an inch up to, I think some of the deepest ones I've seen get up to 7-8 inches deep and they're permanent features in the rock they're rounded triangles and and the the only way you can do that is with a straight hammer and chisel and um they happen to triangulate um at the omen farm and creating three lines an x and then a horizontal line when you look on a north-south map that all intersect exactly where the runestone was found and actually, these stone holes, as I like to call them, for years, actually for, for over a hundred years, they called them mooring stone holes, because they are ex- essentially the same as the mooring stone holes that they have over in Scandinavian countries, where they would you know put a steel pin in the, in the bedrock and then tie their ships up, right? Well, yeah. the problem with that is we're talking about, you know, the center of the continent. I mean, there's some marshes around there and little little puddle lakes, but the fact is they did not um, sail their way to Kensington. They, they walked, right? They sailed into the Great Lakes, um, but, but they walked from there to, to what is now Kensington. And the problem with calling them mooring stone holes is that automatically implies an interpretation that in this case is wrong. If you call them stone holes, nobody can criticize you because they're, you're just describing what they are—they're holes in stones, stone holes.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so I, you know, it—you you get into such amazingly different material in this book than you have in the other books. So I, I'm fascinated at how you have connected all of them. Delighted, but. Well, well as let me well. ask
2: you a question, Barbara. I'm curious mm-hmm. because I haven't really talked to that many people yet that have finished the book and digested it, but let me ask you, what was it that you found the most compelling um, parts in the book, or if you had to pick a chapter or a subject matter, what did you find the most fascinating? I know this is your interview, but I just, I'm curious.
1: Um, well, I was, I was, I was very interested with how you tied the um Cremora document into all of your material. Um so, see, I'm fortunate in the that you know, I have lots of time on my hands <laughs> and you know I, I I've read Bill Mann's stuff, I read Zena Halpern's book, I I read the uh the uh because you because you recommended it, the uh Jesus Family Tomb book too. So, um, Oh yeah. I, you know, seeing the connection of all of this material, and because I've read a lot of it, so that I I saw the connections. Um, the the most ex- I think, I think the most impressive thing for me was how you got into the cryptic code, um, connecting it to all of the masonry material, and right. therefore connecting it to the Templar material, and thereby getting getting us back into Jerusalem, which was fascinating. Um. Mhm. Yep. And,
2: well, you, you, well that's interesting that you, you I, I you know you you talk about these other books and how they all the they're, they're different subject matter but yet they all interconnect in this story and yeah. you're 100% right and it's been a long journey to sort of put it all together and a lot of people sort of look at them as stand-alone things and they are standalone alone things but how they interconnect and how the threads fit together. And there are so many different, you know, pieces of information. And it's it's like this giant matrix of, of, of evidence that how do you fit it all together? Well, when you look at a historical story like this, it's not necessarily a linear story because there are tangents that go in different directions. But yet they all seem to come back together and weave together if... And only if you're on the right track. And and that's where this story, for me, is tracking so well because everything does fit. And that's when you know you're on the right track because if you have a piece of data or, you know, something that's hanging out there that doesn't fit the thread, you're not there yet. And I'm not saying that we've got everything figured out yet. But what I will say is I think that we do have the basic overall story that actually – well, it goes back thousands of years, but really the, the journey of the hooked X, <clears throat> you know, um, going back to the Jesus ossuary. I mean, I have to tell you, Barbara, when, when um, Charlie Pellegrino, who was one of the uh, Talpiot tomb researchers, he was the scientist that went into the tomb and did a lot of the scientific work there actually in the tomb. But he also took photographs of the ossuaries that were taken out. And when he sent me that email, and, 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 and I was, you know, he was introduced to me, or we were introduced to each other through a mutual friend who happens to live here in Minnesota, Jerry Lutken And he said, can, can, can Charlie send you a, an email? He wants to show you some pictures. I said, absolutely. So he sent me these pictures. And when I opened them up, and I saw that hooked X towel cross on the lid of the Jesus Ossuary, Barbara, I, I can't tell you I can't even I can't even remember how I felt. I was literally blown away, but I also had sort of this rush of of adrenaline. Of I don't know if the word is satisfaction or just I felt so good. It's like oh my god, I can't believe this is here. There it is. It's unmistakable. And I wrote back and I told these guys. I said, guys, that's not a star symbol. That's a monogram of two symbols because mm-hmm. the the Tau cross. To slightly below and then I explained my reasoning and the whole hooked X tau cross uh, you know theory that I had I do that yeah can you hear me
1: okay yeah I lost you
2: yes I know I could hear you there I, I could hear you but you couldn't hear me
1: nope you you, want, you went off into the ether so we're talking about
2: <laughs> are we good now yeah we're good now okay okay, okay. should we um, just so pick up again Are you are you live again
1: Oh, we I can edit out my musings of where the heck did he go? You
2: know, <laughs> okay. Well I know where I was. Off. I I can just finish it and then we can we can move on if you want.
1: Sure.
2: Okay. You
1: well were anyway, about Pellegrino.
2: Um, pardon me?
1: You were talking about Pellegrino.
2: Oh yeah, Charlie Pellegrino, um, the scientist on the Telpia tomb and he um uh, um sent me the photographs that um uh, he had taken that up to that point had never been published, uh, of the lid of the Jesus ossuary. Now, on the side of the box uh, was, was you know, the name Jesus, Son of Joseph, which many people have, um, you know, interpreted to be uh, the biblical Jesus and, and his mortal remains. And quite frankly, I I'm convinced they absolutely are. And I will tell you a different story here real quick after i I finish this point but on the lid of his ossuary charlie had taken some photographs and he sent them to me in an email and when i opened them up i was just flabbergasted i couldn't believe it was actually the hooked x with with another symbol the tau cross as a monogram and i wrote that in my email and I, i explained i thought maybe this is the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end of the the um the hooked X, if it does represent the A sound or the Aleph symbol, and the Tau was the last letter in the uh, Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph being the first, maybe it was symbolic of the Alpha and the Omega. And of course, Mm -hmm. Jesus is known to have been associated with the Alpha and the Omega. So I wrote that, and I sent the email, and five other biblical scholars in Jerusalem um, were on that email thread, and he said, every one of them agreed with me. So I was thrilled to death, and I, 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 and I, and I have to say, if you had said, Scott, you can find the hooked X symbol anywhere you want on anything in history, any document associated with anybody or anything. I never would have picked the Jesus ossuary in Jerusalem. No. I never would have picked it. It was stunning. But, you know, I do want to just tell you one other quick thing. And this was something that Jerry Lutkin, another one of the Telpia tomb researchers who happens to live in Minnesota, and he's a very good friend, shared with me here this past week. And that was there was a scientific paper written by a geologist in Jerusalem. His name is Sh- Shimran. And basically he what he did is he collected um, sediment samples from various tombs in Jerusalem and some of the uh, geochemical material that was preserved on the ossuaries that came from the Telpia tomb and many of these other tombs. He also tested a controversial ossuary that um, many people were, uh, are still trying to figure out, and that is uh, another ossuary that is um, carved with the name James, son of Joseph, brother of jesus the controversial james ossuary and a lot of people don't understand the controversy but if we go back to 1980 when the tomb was first discovered the archaeologists documented 10 ossuaries within the tomb however only nine ossuaries made it back to the israeli antiquities archives one of the ossuaries went missing and of course when that one showed up on the antiquities market um, several years later, many people speculated that that could have been the missing 10th ossuary from the Telpia tomb. However, how would you ever prove it? Well, this paper that was just published, they tested the geochemical profile of the ossuaries uh, that were preserved on the ossuaries and inside these various tombs. And guess what? The unique geochemical profile inside the Telpia tomb that was preserved on the, ossu- the other nine ossuaries. When mm-hmm. they tested the James ossuary, it matched the other ossuaries and the sediments that were collected from the Talpiot tomb. So now, wow. instead of having six ossuaries inscribed with names that are all part of the biblical family, now we have a seventh, and it's the brother of Jesus, James. And what that does is it puts the odds into the millions to one against this being the tomb. Good luck on that one. And all all I can say is I was convinced before now it's a done deal.
1: Well, I've, I've contacted Charlie and asked if he, if he would come on the show and talk about his book, the Jesus family tomb and, um, He's responded i'm I'm sure he's checking me out to make sure I'm not a crazy lady um, well,
2: tell him uh, that uh tell him yeah. I said to come on the show that you would you would be good. I can tell him to
1: oh that would help that would help yeah, a lot, I correspond
2: right? with him on a on a semi regular basis so yeah, I'd be yeah, happy least, to do that. We have a good time yeah. here, and um i'll just, I'll, just yeah. tell him hey man well, you know um any promotion is good promotion, so um <laughs> Yeah, yes, I'm sure he'll be happy to happy to do it.
0: He's no, a really he's
2: that's... a sharp guy. He's done an awful lot of work. Um he's also worked uh, uh did a lot of scientific work on the uh uh on the Titanic. So he's got a lot of things that he could talk about. He's a great writer, he's written some really good books and uh he's a good guy too.
1: Yeah, I I I thoroughly I, I ate his book up in a day and a half. So um <laughs> but but I'm lucky I'm a re- I'm a I'm a fast articulate reader so um it's 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 a joy to be able to do this kind of research and then share it with other people um absolutely for those that you know that that your work took you all the way to Jerusalem is have you been there have you seen the tomb
2: I I have not seen well I <clears throat> I've been by the tomb it's there's a uh, a concrete slab that covers it up right now and um let's just say access is extremely difficult, but um, to tell you the truth, what I'm more interested in looking at are the actual ossuaries, and I think I'm going to get a chance to do that at some point here in the next couple of years, But um, and really what I would like to do is I want to see this. Well, I have seen the Hooked ex Tau Cross with my own eyes. I did see it when it was on exhibition in Los Angeles, California here about three, four years ago, and You know, I can say I've seen it with my own eyes, but I would love to get it under my 3-D microscope and do some works on those carvings and take a look at the side of the box where, you know, the the, the Aramaic inscription of of Jesus, son of Joseph, is inscribed. And there's a very interesting X symbol that is in front of the name, you know, um, Aramaic is carved right to left as opposed to left to right. So at the front, on the right side, is a large X. and I remember, you know, that's one of the things I was able to help um, Charlie Pellegrino and some of the other researchers with. They, they didn't know what that X was. And I told them, I said, the X is a symbol of an initiate, somebody who's mm-hmm. been educated in the ancient mysteries. And sure enough, it turns out that some of the other Xs that, that I didn't know who these people were, people like Caiaphas, um, were clergy and people that, that certainly would have been initiated to some degree in, in ancient knowledge um, through uh, the initiation process. And so, um, you know, that was helpful. And obviously Jesus was initiated and there's that big X in front of his name on the box.
1: Yeah. I think somebody said somewhere in the book, um, it stood for righteousness. Righteousness. Well,
2: that may be another word for initiated. <laughs>
1: oh yeah. Ab- absolutely. I think right. that, that, what you've done here is is make an amazing connection in in my mind to my mind with um the the knights templars to the free well to the knights templars the cistercians the knights templars and then freemasonry and it just it all flows so beautifully that it's it's phenomenal
2: and i'm really glad to hear you say that because you know how it is when you know you get your own idea and you think it's a great idea and somebody else goes what are you thinking man that's 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 dumb (laughs) but um you know in my mind it flows together beautifully and um and it does make sense um but you know it doesn't necessarily fit the historical narrative that that we've been told and um but then you know i mean (laughs) so what i mean that's that's the way it's been with many things and um I really do believe that we've we're we're getting to the truth here, but you know one of the other things that's happening here is we're 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 seeing that there are some historical truths that are inconvenient for some people and certain ideologies, so that in part explains why a lot of this has been rejected and um why it's 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 been pushed into the shadows and um, you know but it's it's coming into the light now and and it's it's long past time. And I, I personally believe that once we know more about what the truth really is about our past, I think it will help us going forward into the future. And it's not just a matter of, of learning lessons of the past, although that's certainly important, but I, I think there's, there's bigger things that are going on here, and we just have to be honest about it. And, and I also believe that that old saying, the truth will set you free, and uh, freedom and, and intelligence is power, and and that will just help people succeed. I mean, that's why the clergy, for a long time, kept people in the dark. They didn't want people to be educated. They didn't want people reading the Bible. They wanted to tell them what it said so that they could control them, and they would be subservient. And um, Freemasonry, um, that's not what it's about. And, you know... Can I tell you a quick story of something that happened just the other day, Barbara? Sure. That was really profound. I was actually doing another radio interview with um, um actually um somebody in Norway. It was he was he was in Norway and we were having a great conversation and while we were there I, I just checked my my email because I was technically working and um I got a note from the Scottish right and they asked me if I would somebody had gotten sick and they asked me if i would help out with a degree but because it was the thirty second degree the, the last degree um, it started at four thirty when i picked up the message it was two o'clock and they said can you can you help us i said sure so <clears throat> i um, i asked him if i could we could reschedule the interview which we're going to do actually do it tomorrow and they said you know get here you know be dressed and ready by uh... four thirty and then they gave me my script <laughs> So I had to memorize the script, and I actually pulled it off, but, you know, I'm, I'm used to doing that. But I'm going to read to you what my script was, and, and it's so beautiful, and I think you'll understand the, the profoundness of, of what this is. But remember, this is the 32nd degree, and what they have is a principal candidate. They select one person from the class who's going through these degrees to actually be part of the degree, right? Mm-hmm. And he represents all the others that are sitting on the sidelines watching the degree. And I was the first tent. I was dressed up as a knight, and I had to deliver this message to the principal candidate. Okay, you ready? Ready? Mm-hmm. You are now in the ninth tent. Its symbolic letters are I and S, its flag is blue. Here are said to be encamped. The Apprentices, Fellow Crafts, and Master Masons. The first degree showed you man, ignorant and helpless. As a fellow craft, you were taught the value of association and the necessity of the knowledge that makes men free. The third degree symbolized the people raised from the death of bondage and ignorance to a life of freedom and intelligence and basically those are the first 3 degrees of freemasonry right there it's about bringing somebody who's <clears throat> you know who hasn't learned this this knowledge right that we teach in freemasonry and and really it's it's a lesson for for life for all people and for societies that those that are are strapped by the way it used to be with the church and the king having all the power and and you know, uh, not educating their populace and keeping them subservient and basically in bondage and ignorant of, of of facts. And then, you know, when the Enlightenment period period came and people started to read things that were published in the vernacular, so people could understand it, and they learned. They they this is you know knowledge is power, and eventually they were able to overthrow the church and the crown and form this new nation that we call the United States of America, where you're, you know, we're we're supposed to have religious freedom, contrary to what some people believe. We are not a Roman Christian country. Um, You can be any religion you want. And and that's what we fought for. And uh, it's not a monarchy either. And, you know, Barbara, I have to say, I mean, and I don't want to get into politics, but Um, We live in such a divisive time right now, and I think a lot of people, part of the reason they're so angry and and upset is because they don't fully understand the way it's supposed to be. And Freemasons founded this country. They were also Knights Templar. And when Mm -hmm. we look back on what the principles were upon which this country was founded, freedom from the tyranny of monarchs, freedom of religion, freedom, period. To say and believe what you want. Um, I think in some ways we've forgotten that. And this and this uh, Constitution that we hear about every single day now, do people understand that that is a Masonic document? That those no. are Masonic tenants? I don't think they do. I think they need to be reminded, and that's in part what I'm hoping to do with, with the work we're doing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's I think to me, it's, I've always, and those three tenets you were talking about constitute the Blue Lodge. Right. So, so, you know, I've often, the more I've looked into and talked to, to Masons and my grandfather was a a Mason and um, researching it, um, it, it's to me, Masonry is the male form of a spiritual journey that women go on and talk about all over the place while the men um talk about it and then they have to i think in in many ways masonry is is more profound because you know you talk about it you memorize it but then you have to live it in order to go
2: forward 100% you hit the nail on the head you know it, it's one thing to to memorize these great speeches and and these you know Wonderful words that 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 people utter. It's another thing to embrace them and live them, and 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 you know walk the talk, right? And you, you you said something interesting too about about how women you know are doing their spiritual journey, and men have to go through masonry to 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 get to that point. And I got to be honest with you. I hope I don't sound sexist when I say this, but I think you're right. Um, but I can also tell you this, there's nothing that we do in Freemasonry that women can't handle. Um, but I respect oh, the sure tradition that. and I'm not here to try to change it, but you know, there's nothing, there's nothing you guys, you know, <laughs> are missing well, I out think, on in, in that respect. Cause I think in many ways you said it yourself, you're, you're, you're already down the track a lot farther than most of us guys. And we're just, we're just catching up to the ladies. Well, you know,
1: it's, I think that it's the the fact that that um, people laugh at a lot of the the spiritual work that a lot of the females do. But but I think Masonry has has kind of kept it tighter, and in, in many ways you you get more information. The spiritual uh, you know groups that are out there today don't have the same foundation that you do, and and I think that it's important that at some point in time the sacred female and the male kind of reintegrate themselves so everybody is has access to all of the material and you know we are coming into a time where the sacred female is coming out of the closet yet again um oh, she's yes. never been gone
2: <laughs> no no never no she's gone. look i'll i'll tell you this too barbara the, the feminine is 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 within freemasonry i see it everywhere um, she just veiled and actually, if we go back in time, um, we go back to the time of our founding fathers. She was actually more omnipresent within Freemasonry. But over the last 250 years, um, she's quite frankly been suppressed. But I can mm-hmm. tell you, there was, there was uh, uh, you know, at, at the end of this particular degree, so the first half of the degree, I had to remember those lines I read to you. In the second part, I was given some quick lines literally on the spot, but it was easy to remember. I still remember what it was. And I just said to the candidate, one is three, and three is one. Creator, um, the uh, profound wisdom, and the profound word. Mm -hmm. And that's all I said to him. And as soon as I read the profound wisdom... (laughs) (laughs) that's that's the sacred feminine that's the goddess right there and it's just a different way of saying it right and the word at the end of the day i can't tell you what the actual word is but it has to do with dualism and balance and at Mm -hmm. the end of the day the in the final degree what which we teach the candidate is to learn to live in balance that you're going to have opposing forces and you're going to have your highs and your lows, but you always want to try to achieve balance. Well, it may seem like a simple message, and it is a simple message. It's, it, it, it's just not that easy to, to do and to live all the time. But at the end of the day, isn't that what life is all about, living in balance?
1: Oh. And, you know, this is a truth that you go back to New, Newgrange in, in um, Ireland, and it's got the three swirls you know, the the three, the group, of the, the triple three spiral. Worlds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's really, you know, father, mother, and child. It's, it, it's, it's, it's the Trinity in a different way, but it's the Trinity that has been around there for thousands and thousands and thousands it's of years. It's been
2: there forever. Come on. I mean, it's since, since humans have been procreating, it's been there. <clears throat> it just wasn't proper, you know, it wasn't defined, I, I assume, but um, and you know what? That's one of the interpretations of the hooked X. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, you know, the, the, if you take an X and chop it in half horizontally, the V represents the female. The peak represents the male. You combine them into an X. You have the allegorical union of male, female, heaven, earth, good, bad, light, dark, dualism. But then when you add the hook in the upper right arm, you create a small V, a child. A daughter inside the womb of its mother, right? The big V. And mm-hmm. could that be the Holy Trinity, right? And I ask a lot of people in my lectures, you know, I sort of set them up and I say, well, let me ask you a question. What is the Holy Trinity? Well, it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then I ask them, I said, what's the Holy Spirit? And they sort of look at me and they're kind of confused and they go, well, it's the spirit in you, and they have all these different definitions, and I said, <clears throat> can we all agree that it's really not well-defined? And they kind of nod their heads, and I say, well, let me tell you what I think it is. You got the father, you got the child, who's missing? And suddenly, it becomes obvious. That's yeah. the Holy Trinity.
1: Well, that's, that's where I have been for quite a while, but, you know... I've been alone for a while as far as I knew um, I'm sure I'm not the only one that have that have you know has, can I come has... into the party sure, sure All right, now
2: we got a we got a little party going here, but you know what barbara i I really do think that um, despite the difficulty that we have in the world today, I do think that we're making progress, and I can almost feel like the ship is slowing down and slowly starting to turn around and and the rise of the feminine as was predicted and if you believe in prophecy this is the time of prophecy that says um, it is the time of the rise of the feminine we just entered the age of Aquarius right Uh, the feminine water bearer uh, the symbol that is two rivers or two streams that flow together as one right Um, I love that prophecy and I I think there's something to it and I, I, I think we're we're going to see that happen. I'm I'm optimistic that it will.
1: Oh, I totally agree. I think that it's a very exciting time, you know, no longer are they burning people at the stake or drowning them. Of course they are shooting them, but you know <laughs> well, That's
2: true. Like I said, we're not we're not there yet, but I I do think we're making progress. I really do. Not totally.
1: But I think one of the fascinating I I was so delighted to see that you brought the Cremona document into your book. Yeah. Um because um you you want to kind of explain for those who don't know what it is what it
2: is well the Corona document <clears throat> oh boy i'm going to be giving a lecture on this uh on thursday when i'm out in massachusetts and and it's 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 really a complicated story from the standpoint of trying to understand how it 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 you know it came to be how it uh, came true. into the possession of, of dr bill jackson and uh and now don rue and but essentially what it is is it's a copy and probably a copy of a copy of a copy of 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 multiple documents it's a comp it's a compilation of documents and the two main documents that are part of this are something called um uh, uh, we, just, we just call it the uh, We Six Have Now Entered Under the South Wall. And basically it's the story of, of, of the six Templar knights that went into Jerusalem and found their way under the Temple Mount. And I don't think they found their way. I think they knew exactly where they were going. I know they knew where they were going, and I know they, they knew what they were looking for. This, this was no accident. And uh, they went down underneath into a tomb, and they found the treasure Um, Part of the treasure that is documented in this particular document um, were scrolls that talked about – and these are first-century scrolls – that talked about additional first-century scrolls that had been hidden back in the first century. Oops,
1: he's gone again.
2: Oh, am I gone? Am I still there? No, you're back. Okay, sorry. Yep, you hiccuped, that's all. Okay, but we're good, eh?
1: Yep, so far. Okay.
2: Anyway, this document talks about other first-century documents that had been hidden in a land called Antiora. And Antiora is North America. And uh, those documents were, were then taken back to, uh, well, according to the records we have, to Bernard de Clairvaux. And they were deciphered and translated. And then six decades later, in 1177-78, Uh, A Templar knight by the name of Ralph de Sutterly went with six knights um, and 140 men and women on a voyage um, to the land of Antiora, led by a woman that they um, were able to um, get from the uh, Danish court to lead them back to Hunter Mountain, um, to the Temple of the Goddess. In the Catskill Mountains to recover those scrolls that had been hidden in the um, in the first century, um, and he did that. Uh, unfortunately, he did not recover all of the scrolls. He recovered some of the scrolls and took them back. And in 1180, his deposition was taken, and the story of his mission going to the land of Antiora is uh, is his is is the deposition that was taken in Suborga, Italy in 1180 when he returned uh, in the presence of the Grand Master uh, Odin. So uh, it's, an amazing, it's just an amazing story. And so what I've been doing for the last 13 years, <clears throat> in part with Zena Helpern and Don Rue um, and other, some other people, is, is vet this story. Now, one of the things I think it's important for people to know, and you brought up Zena's book, Um, unfortunately, Zena, um, did not get everything right in her book. She was not aware that the code that was in a different document that she deciphered in the first quarter of her book, that code was made up. (laughs) Um, and the reason it was made up, it was made up by Bill Jackson, And it's kind of a long story, but essentially what happened was when he um, followed the story of the Cremona document up to Hunter Mountain and they found Altamara's tomb, the problem that he had when he was trying to get the document deciphered is he was dealing with some pretty unethical and nasty scholars. He ran into the same type of pushback that I've run, run into and many other people pursuing these truths have run into. And including a guy by the name of Barry Fell, and you can read about that in the book. Uh, Barry Mm -hmm. Fell deserves a lot of credit for his book, America, B.C., and being one of the few scholars, a Harvard scholar, to come out and say that there were multiple cultures that came over to North America prior to Columbus. And this was back in 1976. The problem with Barry Fell is he overreached in many cases, and in some cases I think he just made it up, and unfortunately that takes away from a lot of the good work that he did, amazing work that he did, but you know he's human like the rest of us. But what happened to Bill Jackson is he became disillusioned by the behavior of these scholars, and he was originally going to write the Cremona document story himself, and then he decided I'm going to write a novel, and as part of that novel he made up this code. But Zena, was not aware of that. So that is just complete fiction. The other part that's fiction is the end of the book where she tries to, to tie the uh, Oak Island um, Oak Island to the Cremona document. There is no connection to Oak Island. She did that to engage the brothers on the show, and she was successful. But that oh, yeah. was that was uh that was a red herring so but the cremona document part and her interpretation of it that part of the book is excellent
1: well what i found just you know exciting was that that in the cremona document it gives landmarks and things like that on hunter mountain and you and i think david brody were able to locate some of these places
2: yes and yes so- we did and uh in the carvings that are on the mountain And, uh, you know, I wanted to look at them and get a sense of the weathering and, uh, you know, does it look like it could be consistent with that time frame? And and in my mind, everything does match up. And the other thing was we found a carved stone up there ourselves using another document that came out of the tomb of Altamara. And in my book... Um, I try to tie up all of the loose ends, and I think I do, and I think that story's amazing. And and, and that stuff, um, you know, Zena was certainly aware of the uh, in-camera that we found with the latitude and longitude, but she, she uh, was not aware of the letter that came forward uh, from Bill Jackson's daughter that really tied all the loose ends together for us. And, of course, now um, – the big question is, where are those documents now that were recovered from Hunter Mountain? That's the next mystery <laughs> we're trying to solve.
1: Well, it's a good mystery, but but to All be able right. to take the gift
2: that keeps giving.
1: <laughs> well, well, and the story, um, you know, I I've I've read it in several different places, and it to me is it's spellbinding when you consider. That this is this is what the 14th century, or is this the 1100th? I mean, well, the Cremona
2: document story takes place in the 12th century. <clears throat> However, there are um, there were other people that were up on the mountain before we were, um, and most notably, the letter that was written <clears throat> was written by a man by the name of Lionel de Waldern, the 21st. One of the six knights that came over. Uh, with Ralph de Sutterly back in the 12th century, was a man by the name of Lionel de Waldern. This was his descendant, 21 generations later, and he was up on the mountain almost 500 years after his his ancestor was. And wow, it, it's 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 nothing short of incredible. And in that letter, he tells us exactly what documents he got. And that they were taken up to Montreal. And, of course, at that time, when he wrote this letter in 15, excuse me, 1656, they had just established the first Sulpician seminary. And the Sulpicians picked up the mantle and the torch, if you will, of the Cistercians. So they were on the same squad, if you will. And uh, and that's where those things were probably taken and hidden. Now that was back in 1656, right? Um, Yeah. It's been 400, uh, 350 years, or what is that? That'd be yeah, 350 years since. Um, Mm -hmm. The question is, where are those documents now?
1: Well, when when the scrolls were taken back to Europe um, and given to the Pope, were they all given to the Pope?
2: No, they were not given to the Pope. They were given to the Grand Master of the Knights Templar Order. <clears throat> in um, well, he was the Grand Master for all of the Knights Templar at that time. So they did mm-hmm. not go back to the Pope. And this was, um, you know, there. <laughs> you know, a lot of people think that the uh, that the Templars were working. You know, they were the military arm of the church. Well, they were, but you know that old phrase: keep your friends close, your enemies closer.
1: Yes. Yeah.
2: That's basically what they were doing. And the, uh, the, the Cistercian Order and the Templars that they uh, uh, were part of, um, th- basically what I say to people is when Bernard de Clairvaux joined the uh, Cistercian Order in 1113 with 30 of his family members, and remember, this is at the exact time that those Templars went under the Temple Mount and found these documents, in my mm-hmm. mind, that was the greatest coup d'etat in history that nobody knows anything about. They, they don't understand what it really was. Um, and, and, and I think oh. there were people even at the time that understood what it was, but the church was never going to admit that they were being duped by these, what I call, Venus families. On way again. Yeah. Hello? Okay, you're back. Oh, you I think be... maybe Hi, I just had hiccuping. the, the um, <laughs> phone too close to my uh, my mouth here. I'll back it up a little bit, but... in any case um um yeah it's it's an incredible story from start to finish it's got so many wonderful chapters and to be quite frank with you um this is the story this is the series i would love to do on television um i've i've had a, a wonderful time doing america on earth my god we've done 49 episodes almost 50 episodes and it's 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 done well and i'm I'm very proud of it, but you know what? I would trade it all if I could do a series that focused simply on this story because I think it's the greatest story out there. Um, there's so much information that has not been shared yet, and uh, I think I think people would love it. I mean, my God, if they love National Treasure, this is National Treasure on steroids, and it's true.
1: Oh, I mean, even to I mean, there's love stories in here too.
2: I oh, mean, absolutely! It, I mean, the story it, of Altamara and Leon, the Spaniard. I mean, he married her in the Danish court. Uh, the Grand Master, uh, the King, who was who was a Templar, said someone's got to marry her before she can go. And it, you know, when you read the story, it sounds like it was a real love story.
1: Well, and and he, you know, there were so many places here that they bring they 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 bring in things that unless you know about other stuff you don't recognize for instance the copper um plates and stuff they had that came from the copper mines in minnesota and michigan
2: well that's right <clears throat> and you know uh, we, uh, this has been a discussion item that i've been having with people like david brody and others um you know that that are uh, obviously open-minded he's done a lot of wonderful research himself presented it in his novels but um... You know, people will go a long way to get valuable things, right? And in many cases, these are sacred journeys. And these articles that they're collecting, like copper and gold, and 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 uh, and other valuables, are are sacred items. And you know, in our world today, we don't look at these things in the same way. I mean, we just that's just part of our sustenance. You know, it's like well, we got to have food. I can get food at the store, and I can go to a restaurant or you know, Wendy's or Arby's or whatever, and and we don't have to work as hard as people used to to get the things that would sustain themselves, right? And life was mm-hmm. a hell of a lot harder, and our lifespans were shorter, and our mentality was different. And we just don't understand and appreciate things today um, the way people did in the past. And, and that context um, is really, really important. And, and once you sort of think about how other people thought and you start to get into their minds, it really helps you, um, I think, understand what they might do and why we see these things that we see. I mean, for example, look at the copper in the UP of Michigan. I mean, it's one Mm -hmm. thing to go to a a, a copper mine and mine it and then then smelt it out of the rock. But up there, there's float copper literally after the glacier's melted away, just laying around everywhere. And it was 99.9% pure copper. And you could just pick it up off the ground. I mean, you talk about a sacred item. Um, there's a reason why they traveled, you know, so far across the world. <laughs> what they were going for was worth it.
1: Well, you know, the history books today, and as a retired school teacher, I'm, I'm so offended by what the history books today are showing. I mean, there was a, an amazing traffic um, thousands of years ago for the copper that was that was in the Upper Peninsula there, and yeah. it, it just it 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 sort of makes you wonder who are these people writing the history books today that they don't know about all of this stuff. I mean, well, they know I, about it. You know, well, but you got to remember
2: something. Um, tenure is very important, and if you don't have tenure, <clears throat> or if you're somebody who has put forth uh, an idea or a theory and um, you know, you become famous for it. And then all of a sudden something comes along that basically renders all the work you did irrelevant or useless or worthless. Um, people, are, people aren't people are going to take that laying down, are they? They're going to fight hard to protect their own legacies and the work that they've done. Now, a lot of these scholars that I'm talking about are working in the humanities disciplines. And I don't mean to criticize these disciplines by um, you know, saying that they're not worthy of, of study or anything like that. But my point is is that these are not hard science disciplines. Um, these people are not formally trained in, in proper scientific method, and quite frankly, it shows. Um, and what I find laughable is some of these scholars, such as Henrik Williams, um, is, is trying to tell me that the only way to solve the Kensington runestone is through the scientific method of runology, <laughs> Scientific? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> this this whole art, this thing of urnology, is as much of an art as anything I've, I've ever seen. And, and but yet, you know, he's telling me, a hard scientist who runs a forensic lab, that you know my discipline doesn't matter. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that happens in academia, and it's 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 borderline unbelievable in some cases, but. You know, if they were truly scientific, let's say, Barbara, you wrote a paper about something and some student of yours came along and used new technology. You, you mentioned it before, or uh, found documents that had never been seen before, like the Cremona document, and brought them to your attention, and they directly refuted something that you had published years ago. It was hmm. new information that you didn't have access to. What would be your reaction? I can tell you what your reaction should be. It should be, you know what, that's awesome. Um, New evidence that comes in and dictates a new conclusion, that's called science. That's the way it works. And because it changes your theory, it doesn't make you stupid. It doesn't make you wrong. It makes you smart when you accept the fact that new evidence comes in and has gotten to a better truth. Does that make sense?
1: oh yeah no i'm all I'm with you on that I think that, yeah, but you that, know
2: what you and I to you and i that's that that's obvious it's not to many academics and it's 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 well, it's it's sad is what it is
1: well i think another another sadness unfortunately is that lots of times when people are out of school, they figure okay, I'm done i don't have to I don't have to learn anymore and the reality is that's when you start learning, that's when you start following. You know your own inclinations as to what is fascinating and and what will give me a greater perspective on reality and and make my life better and richer, um, so that so that I think that that what you're doing especially is is so I mean how many people have even heard of the Cremora document I mean it's it's
0: right.
1: you know it's definitely but it is one of the <clears throat> best stories ever I mean it is um. You know it, it 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 just it pours you and the fact that that when he got back he was rewarded by being given what the governorship of petra
2: right and uh <clears throat> and the opportunity to collect some other treasures so yeah. I mean what he did you know back then was an extremely dangerous mission, and they lost some men <clears throat> they lost all she didn't she didn't make it um so, yeah, I think he was fairly rewarded. But, you know, again, he was doing um he was doing God's work, he was doing the Grand Master's work, he was doing the work for the order, and um he was a dedicated Templar and, and uh and nobody knows who he is and but they are gonna know who he is. But I will tell you this, as great as the Cremona document story is, and it's a fantastic story, no question about it. I'm working on a book right now about two additional sets of documents that trump the cremona document pardon the pun <laughs> but the, it, it's a better story than that but it directly yeah. connects with the cremona document but it's later in history it's more recent in our history and um it's not just one set of set of documents it's two different sets and they are going to just blow the lid off of this story they are going to put the final nails in this uh in this story in the coffin of this story, they're going to end all this crazy stuff that we've been taught for a long time. The truth about the Templars and the founding of this nation is going to be um, well understood, better understood than you can imagine. Let me, let me just tease you with one little thing.
1: Okay. And I'm in the
2: process of vetting these doc. I've been vetting these documents now for four years. But they are so detailed that I can tell you the name of the monk who carved the Kensington Runestone.
1: Well that's definitely something.
2: That's pretty detailed, isn't it?
1: <clears throat> I just think so.
2: And that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's not even the tip of the iceberg. So stay tuned for that.
1: Well part of the you know, there there is there is more teasing here in your book, too, that 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 I don't want to ignore, because <clears throat> I find it I find it fascinating and and exciting. And it all goes back to um, the journey of, of these Knights Templar and, of course, the treasure that they are preserving. Now, in my <laughs> mind, as, as far as I'm concerned, the, the greatest treasure that the Templars may have found is knowledge and wisdom. Forget the gold, silver, and gemstones and everything, but of course that's what everybody's looking for.
2: But- well, yeah, and, and make no mistake. If 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 we found a, a treasure chest full of gold, silver, and jewels, I'd be excited. But you're but you're right. You know the the true the true treasure is not precious gold and silver. You can't take that with you. Um, it is knowledge, and it's. Um, Enlightenment. I mean, it's that's that's what it's all about. You also said it before. It's a lifelong thing. You never stop learning, and yeah. uh, you'll well, never you'll never learn everything. And those people that that don't learn, in my mind, they're just existing. And <clears throat> and in the end, I don't think that's a very fulfilling way to to live a life.
1: No, but let me let me just you know the treasure in in quote marks, um, was brought to this country. Um, at a very early time. And, and those that brought it intermarried into the indigenous peoples that were here. And yep. that at, at some particular point in time, because I guess society or, or, or humanity was encroaching upon what they considered wilderness, they took and moved the treasure. And then as, as the same thing happened again and again, it has been moved a number of times. And um, it was out west, and the theory is that it has now been moved to another place. Right. And um, and what I find fascinating <clears throat> is part of the story um, has to do with the Lewis and Clark expedition and Thomas Jefferson.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: And and absolutely. Um, <clears throat> And the, and the Louisiana
2: Purchase.
1: Yes, <laughs> so that so that you know sooner or later they were going to hit an ocean and have to find another place to put it. So.
2: <laughs> yep, right. they could only go so far, and then they ran out of territory. But you know something, um, Barbara? That is the story that you're talking about. That's in in my book, and um, and and it's true that a big part of. Well, all of that 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 I talk about in the book is true, but I will tell you also with these new documents, the story is much more complicated uh, and and actually makes a lot more sense because one of the things that I will tell you is that the Templars would never put all their eggs in one basket, and Mm -hmm. and that is why um, I find the Oak Island show to be just ridiculous. (laughs) Like... Like first of all that I, I can tell you for sure that there's nothing there um and 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 although there was stuff all around it, and that the mm-hmm. treasure that, that the, the and and there was multiple treasures that were brought over it wasn't just one great big push they brought everything over, and that was it. There were waves of uh treasures that were brought over. And they were put in many places because, like I said, they would never put all their eggs in one basket. And everybody seems to think that it's it's on Oak Island. It's not on Oak Island. Oak Island was a decoy site, and um, it's worked perfectly right to this day. Um, And and, and the other thing is, is many of those treasures were recovered, and they were used um, in part to found this nation. And that was some of the Mm -hmm. information that that comes from these documents that we're, <clears throat> we're vetting right now. In fact we pitched it to uh, to the networks and they, they they didn't want it at the time. But funny, um, this is the story that they're using on that Oak Island show and they got it from us. But they just don't they but unfortunately they don't know the story. Um but they will. And uh um, well, I can, I can we'll see understand. we'll see where it ends up.
1: I, I can understand part of the part of whatever it was being used to uh, finance the American Revolution. I can I can see that in a heartbeat. Um,
2: well, that's but, what happened. That that's in part what happened. Oh, That's okay. exactly what happened.
1: But but I think what fascinated me was Jefferson sent sent Lewis and Clark to find a passage to to um, obviously the Pacific. But but Meriwether Lewis had other um, tasks that he was to perform, and I, I think partially too, um, he was, to my mind, he was to look for um, Welsh-speaking people because <laughs> if there were Welsh-speaking people out there, according to the papal. Bulls that were set forward for those who were going to discover lost continents um, was that they could claim them only if there were no Christians there. And and so, was Jefferson sending Meriwether Lewis out to find Templar stuff because he was a Templar, or was he? Of course, he was,
2: and he found it Um, when he when when he wintered over with the Mandan that first winter in 1803. That's where they meant Chicago Sacaga- they met Sacagawea. Um mm-hmm. The information that we have gotten from certain indigenous sources um, is she's a descendant of a Templar um, Wow, therefore her brother, who was chief of the Shoshone um, was also a descendant, right <laughs> And she had been kidnapped by the Hadatsa when she was a young girl, She's gone. and it ended up with the Mandan. And then, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they just happened to meet up with her and her husband, Jean Baptiste, and then, you know, she leads them to the Shoshone, the horse people, which which history will tell us. And it's true that they needed the horses to get all the way to the west. Um, and that's absolutely true. And, and her knowledge um, of how to survive in the winter also helped them. But, um, you know, he wanted to meet, uh, Lewis wanted to meet the chief of the of the Blackfoot. Um, and it just so happens at that time, the Blackfoot, that was their territory. Um, it was probably uh, a different tribe's territory uh, prior to that because the Blackfoot had migrated from up in, you know, in canada but um there were guardians of this vault and they had made a promise to their templar brethren who when i went through a midday wind sweat i was told um about their blood brothers that the indigenous people know all about them and they know all about the story and and i'm sure there's many um that have templar blood running through their veins in fact you know, some people have suggested, and I completely agree with it, <clears throat> is um, when the Templars came over, they carried the bloodline in their veins. And they mm-hmm. intentionally brought it to North America and put it in the indigenous people to protect it.
1: Well, that makes perfect sense. And, yeah. and aren't, you know, uh, in in... in Bill mann's book he talks about how the the initiatory rights um for the the uh native peoples, the first people are very similar to the initiatory rights of the freemasons
2: They're not similar they're the same
1: they're back. Yeah. okay,
2: yep they're the same so yes and and when the Templars came over, that is one of the things that they had in common. They literally bonded by blood. They had this common ideology. And part of that I- ideology is something I've written about for a long time that I figured out through Bernard, was they shared and, and embraced the same reverence for the great goddess or the sacred feminine. Um, and, and, and and the Templars just had to keep it hidden. And that was one of the things that the Church, um, that was part of the heresies that they were guilty of. Um, but they venerated the Virgin Mary, you know, like the church wanted them, to. They just, they just looked at her in a different way. She was a different Mary. So it's an, it's a fascinating story, <clears throat> and I think it's all coming full circle. But more than, more important than anything, Barbara, is that it all fits together as it must if it's true, and so far it's fitting together like, like a, like a glove.
1: Well, I just. Um you know the more the more i i follow all of this material it the the more convinced i am that there there is a you know everybody says oh there's a revolution coming and and i think there is but i don't think it's the kind of revolution they expect
2: well um i i you know i'll i'll tell you one thing that that's absolutely um true that's happening right now young people are not finding the, the answers to the big questions in life in church anymore like they used to um, they're looking in other places they're all still asking those same questions they're just trying to they're, they're finding the answers in different places and one of the things that I would implore um, certainly young men to do um, and not so young men is to look into Freemasonry um, you know spirituality is something that you know you can you can pursue and and learn and grow and and um and flourish your own spiritual self you don't need to have a church to do it if you want to go through churches certainly can but there are other ways to do that and some people choose to do that on their own to have a relationship with deity whatever god you want to venerate whatever you want to call it you can have that relationship all by yourself, one to one. You don't need a conduit to get there, um, and I think a lot of people are starting to realize that, and it can be it can be, be a really profound thing, and that's changing. And you know, you remember, you know, Barbara, you've heard this. You know, you hear your parents and your grandparents talk about, well, the younger generation—they just they're you know they're not as smart. They they don't they're not as good as it you know. <laughs> had it tougher when we were young and all that BS, right? You know what? I think the young people today are smarter than we were, quite frankly. They're certainly more technologically um, savvy and look, they're born with the same potential and same intelligence and uh, and many of them um, are so impressive and doing such good work. I think the future is bright and it's to coach them, right? To coach them up and make sure that that they're doing things the right way that they're learning right but i think the future is solid with with the generations that that's coming up and you know people just have to work together and and we'll get through this thing
1: oh i'm i'm sure. we will definitely survive this there's no no doubt in my mind as to that i i just feel that that there is a an element of wisdom, I think, the sacred feminine is coming more out in, into the open, where people are more comfortable with it. Um, when I used to, I used to do lots and lots and lots of meditations. It, it always started out with Father, Mother, God, so that so that there's this sense of, of finding balance first within oneself and then applying it to your life. And and that that balance has to come with with you know. The, the yin and the yang the positive negative the male and the female and when you go back to the cremora papers and 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 a lot of this other material you're finding indigenous people's thousands of years ago um had that balance understood that balance understood the worship of nature and and the fact that there there were spirits in everything i mean they had a a better cosmology sometimes than, than we do today and, and people are going away from organized dogma into a more spiritual philosophy <clears> as, to the, as to their personal connection with a creator I, I, mean, that's great. I agree
2: I agree I think that's definitely happening and it's a good thing I think we need it
1: oh goodness yes so so with, with all of this um, the travels of the treasure and I'm not gonna. They're gonna have to read your book to figure out where where you think it may have been put. Yep. But what happens to? And you do you do give a place. I mean, you don't dig it up and say, "Aha, the treasure!" But you you.
2: Oh, I you don't give, think anybody's going to be digging it up, even if they wanted to. That's not going to happen. <laughs> <And clears throat> there,
1: there's so much new stuff coming into public domain these days that it is. It's it's so exciting, to to be able to start to put pieces together and and you know what's what's fascinating is between the the uh Nargansic Stone, Nargansic stone Runestone, yeah between that and the um the, Stone, the, yes, yeah you know, there, so yeah I mean and 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 you know all of all of these sites that you've talked about so often that that um, you know there's a connection there there's there's a connection that is so obvious it, it is there's a geographic connection too the um, it, it, it's it's kind of like it was already computed there is there is the cryptic code that does talk about all of this. so
0: right, um, right.
1: how How could people not recognize? But it's there.
2: Well, um, you, you know, I I mean, I think um, what's what's most important when you talk about the treasure that was brought back and put in a certain place, I think it has more to do with some of the sacred relics. Um, and I don't want to tip off people too much. I want them to read the book. But, I, you know, a lot of that stuff, it's not like it's currency that you can go out and spend, right? These artifacts... Right. Are are very sacred. They're very important, and they they're they have to be housed and they have to be kept. They have to be kept secret. Um, just knowing that they are being kept and that they're safe, I think, is important. And my hope is someday in the future, um, those 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 relics and artifacts will will be made public, and we'll be able to see them. But the evidence of of where they are is to use a, a Masonic phrase, hidden in plain sight. You just mm-hmm. have to know what to look for, right? And once well, you once you have the keys, all of a sudden it's it's right right in front of you. It was there all the time. <laughs> well
1: it's the Kensington runestone that that kind of got you into the cryptic code,
2: isn't it? Oh yeah. Well it was it, it started this whole journey and when, uh, when I finally took that specific degree, and uh, I heard those magic numbers, eight and twenty two, mm-hmm. um, I don't know how many people would ha- that have gone through that degree or will go through that degree that knows the inscription on the runestone as well as I do that would pick out those numbers and say, "Hey, wait a minute, that can't be a coincidence." <laughs> And it turns out it was not a coincidence, and it was only the beginning. Um, I will never forget that day, and I, I I, I can remember it like it happened yesterday. It wasn't that long ago. It was about three, three and a half years ago, but it seemed like it was yesterday.
1: Well, you know, it's, a lot of your shows have, have centered on the Newport Tower and the Kensington Rune Stone and the Narragansett Stone. I mean – and uh, you know, living in the Northeast, you know, it it to me is is so awe-inspiring that that these these artifacts are here, and and certainly I live in the middle of of um the the Stone Chamber territory here in Connecticut, right. so that you know, it's it's sort of like. You live in the middle of history, and you don't even recognize it, and and that is for me such, such a, a, a sad comment on on today's society.
2: Well, well is, they said this yeah. this stuff isn't for everybody, right? And and that's part of what makes the world go round and makes it interesting is everybody uh, has different things that they're into, and I mean I I got to be honest, I find it. Um, sad that more people aren't into this that not i mean i wish everybody was into it but you know it's just it's not everybody's cup of tea but i do think that this research and these truths and these artifacts and the history that that they represent there are parts of it and pieces of it at least that everybody should take an interest in or that will interest everybody because it's going to affect us all in the long run one way or another and um i i i think everybody should should know these things i think they're fascinating i think you know movies like national treasure the popularity of something like that a, a fictional story that has a, actually a lot more truth in it than i even realized <laughs> until recently but, but there are a lot of people that like this i think they just need to be exposed to it and uh and look into it and I don't know. I, I I think more people will will get into it. I'm I'm confident that'll happen.
1: Well, when you look at
2: at you know,
1: first of all, you know, you look at the the, the stones and the tower and everything else, and then then you get into the cryptic code, and then you're on a journey with with Knights Templar and you know, Freemasons, Knights Templar, Cistercian monks, and then you end up at the tomb of Jesus' family. I mean. There has to be something in there to to fascinate everybody.
2: <laughs> I and, think and
1: so. <laughs> I, I, what else could there be? Maybe flying saucers, but you know we don't even need them. I mean, Oh, well, you know, it's, know what?
2: But they may enter the story at some point, so just put that on hold for now. <laughs>
1: well, it wouldn't it surprise it it me, but but I think there's so much. I I mean, history is important because if you don't understand where you've come from, you don't have any foundation to go somewhere
2: right right you
1: you you have to have that foundation and and the story is not a dull story it's it's a fascinating story and when you go to the forensic part of it especially with um the material that they found in the talpot uh tombs you know they they got down to to cloth and weaving stuff and 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 bone fragments from two thousand years ago. Yep. And they were and they were able to DNA test them. So so this is a part of our history. This is a part of our our, our, our creational stuff. This is this is where we came from. And I, to not I, you know to, to not dig into it, I'm not saying you have to make it your life study, but know about it. Uh, and, you know, there are lots of things that I've read that that while well, I think, well, that's a great story, I'm not sure I can put it into my perspective of life at this moment in time, but I'm going to put it back and, and take a look at it. And I have to admit, when I read Zena Halperin's book the first time, I thought, my God, she's got an amazing imagination. And then the the more I researched it, the, the more I realized, well, wait a minute this is an imagination because you can check out so much of this stuff. It, it has to have a validity of some sort. And the further I went in in checking out in different areas and from different people, it, it, it came into a greater focus is by gosh, this is not as much of a, you know, a, a flight of fancy as it is. These are facts. <laughs> you, know, you
2: can check them out. <laughs> Well, you you have to, in my mind, you have to find as many facts and and treat your investigations, when possible, uh, as scientifically as you can. I mean, some of this some of this stuff you have to make some leaps and 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 see if you can find the evidence to support it. And it turns mm-hmm. out we've been able to do that. But it any time and every time that you can. Um, gather facts to support your, your thesis, it's critical. And so I, I remind people that I work with all the time, um, do you have facts to, port, to support what you're saying? Um, and have you tested those facts? And in many cases, you know, you, you have to test it. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, Janet, uh, my wife Janet and Alan Butler wrote a book together, and uh, one of the things that they proposed was that the Washington Monument is a giant sundial and Mm -hmm. that it points to certain places and certain things uh, on certain days and, and, and times of the year. And, you know, Alan was using computer models and he was getting these amazing alignments. And I said to both of them, I said, hey, guys, I said, this is fantastic stuff, but what you need to do is you have to test it. So we actually went out there on those days when these things were supposed to have occurred and we tested the theory and I'll be damned. They checked out. So whenever possible, uh, as great as an idea is, or as convinced as you are that it's right. If there's a way Mm -hmm. that you can test it, you have to do it just if for no other reason than for, for peace of mind. Right.
1: Oh yeah. And, and you know, their book is, is by the way, a very good book. (laughs)
2: Oh, yeah. No, they're, they're that, that one, America, Nation of the Goddess, that's uh, that's pretty good stuff, too. But but everything that Alan touches, you know, in my mind, turns to intellectual gold. Um, obviously, Jen did a great job, and uh, um, I think they're working on another one right now. I don't want to tip off uh, anything right now, but um, Alan Butler was the one who really opened my eyes to the true ideology of the Templars, and I'll be forever grateful for that. Um, he's just an amazing guy. He's so knowledgeable, and um, you should have him on sometime.
1: I have. Oh yeah, that's right. You have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we well, did, we did her. Don't, we did- don't
2: tell <laughs> them that I told you that they're working on another book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll just keep. Keep closer track of it all. Yeah, no, know that that interview I did with the both of them was really amazing and it opened my eyes to a lot of things that I hadn't known. Um, I mean, I knew the Templars had part of, of the, of the um, set out or, or the, the geographic locations of things in, in Washington, D.C., and I, I hadn't realized that it was as great as I have looked at over time that the they had a heavier hand in the whole thing than i than i totally realized and the um the washington monument and what it points out is really quite profound and it, it had is. to be yes. it had to be masons that were able to in many places in many ways um calculating where the the shadow was going to fall at certain timeframes because um the, the even down to um events in world war 2 um, right. it points right. it points to them and and it just it, it amazed me and it 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 made it so much more of a spiritual experience understanding that that behind the scenes the freemasons are still in there helping to to arrange things so that so that there is meaning so that there is a pattern so that there is a code if you will i mean even mm-hmm. down to bringing um some of the um the the uh big statues from from England the um obelisks um right. over to this country and placing them in Manhattan
0: right I mean, they had
1: to they had to take a part of, parts of a ship to bring one of those over yeah. um so that so that it was you know that at work at this moment in time even when when things seem crazy i'm sure there are freemasons in there still making sure that things are placed in the right place and and um making sure that they are leaving um coded places for people in the future to find if it's not time to bring them into our reality i i know that it it's it's not the blue lodge guys but it's it's the higher ups that are very aware of what's going on and how to place things and how to and and it's a generational thing it, it's happened over I know Freemasonry is, is not that old, but but the Templars certainly are and the Cistercians
2: oh, yes, before is. them. <laughs> Look, okay. the, the, the the craft, you know, officially came out, if you will, came out of the closet in 1717 when four okay. lodges came together um, to form a Grand Lodge and, and and make this announcement. But the fact that there were four lodges that existed before that Tells you that the craft has been around for a long time. Indeed, it's been around for thousands of years. Um, well, it has morphed yeah, and changed over the years, but the the whole um, the whole uh, experience of um, of ritual of initiation is is timeless. It's been around since humans have existed. It it so that, it it, it, it wasn't created in 1717. That I can assure you. <laughs>
1: Well, I I didn't think it happened. No, I but know I the,
2: I know you weren't saying that, but I'm just making sure that the audience knows.
1: Okay, but what what is so fascinating is that there is a long-term project that has been underway for okay, thousands of years. Right? And right. and every, every generation is aware that this this is going to be something that is ongoing that we we continue to explore and to expand, but but it you know, when it's time, you know, when the time is right, it will be brought forward, but not until that time. And it's, it is fascinating that there is an organization like that out there that is spiritually based and, and you know, has not gone the way of a lot of other um, religious organizations that, that have become corporations more than anything else. But but the, Yeah, the spirituality, exactly You know, the spirituality has been maintained And, you know, there is a higher purpose That is being solved here That is being followed here And it interweaves through all aspects of society And, and all all religious beliefs And, you know, you can be an atheist And still belong to Freemasons You have well, to they, you, it, you, have, it, you, have,
2: you don't really you, you don't want to say that, though That's That's frowned upon Because I think one of the things about initiation is, you know, to really become enlightened, you have to be humbled, you know, in in a important way, and part of that is realizing that um, there are things that are greater than yourself, right?
1: Right. Well, then you have to admit to a higher being. Uh,
2: right. Right. So if you're an atheist the and you don't believe that, it doesn't work as well. Um, no
1: no that that's true but
2: yeah. but
1: you do adhere to a higher being. It doesn't have to be in a particular religion
2: well, there's a reason why we call deity and Freemasonry the great architect of the universe <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know that that can be interpreted in a number of different ways but um yeah it, it really it, it, this the the statement in a belief in a higher power is is pretty important otherwise the the experience just it just it won't work the same.
1: Well, then there's no place for spirituality to go. That's true. Yeah. That's true. But but and and it 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 has served a purpose for so long and continues to. And I, I just I think that people should should be aware of it. I, I'm delighted that there is a female part of it. Um, you know. There, are, there
2: you know and and you know we do have Eastern Star. For uh, for women, uh, that is a sanctioned body within Freemasonry, and uh, they have their own uh, rituals and and uh, traditions that are um, are pretty cool, and that that works for a lot of a lot of a lot of women too. You know, so there there are there are other ways that that women can can have a similar experience, <clears throat> but at the end of the day like you said before in the very beginning of our conversation, I think women are in general, um, farther along in the spiritual track than most guys. So,
1: well, you guys are doing okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think we're, we're, um, in any way, um, we're equal is basically what it comes down to. Um, (laughs) I don't want, I, before we run out of time and, and we're, we're, we're close. Um, I do want to first of all wish you a happy birthday on the twenty-first.
2: Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, you know something. I when I was a <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I never liked my birthday because, uh, you know, everybody would come and say, "Well, here I got a I got a gift for both your b- birthday and Christmas, right?" And you know, it's like, oh God, you know. <laughs> but um, and I never really liked it. But I have to say, now that time has gone on, and I realize the the significance of. Something like the winter solstice and some of the amazing things that that happen on that day, um I feel really fortunate and i I love my birthday now. I just love having it on such a important day when the sun is reborn right and uh oh yeah it's uh it's a, it's a symbol of resurrection it's, it's' it's all kinds of cool things and so i I've, I've done a one eighty on I love it now.
1: Are you going to be doing uh, America's Stonehenge on the 21st again?
2: Um, No, but I'll be at the Newport Tower on the 21st uh, that morning, and it's supposed to be clear. The weather's supposed to be clear. Um, We're going to be going up to America's Stonehenge on uh, Thursday during the day, and uh, and then I have my lecture that night, and then we head down to Newport the next day, and uh, and my son's going with me, and we're going to have a, a really good time. I'm looking forward to that, so... Um one more day and then and then it's uh it's fun time.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I can I I love America Stonehenge. I think that it is it's an amazing place to go and with the reforestation and everything that's going on up there, it's even more so. So it's definitely some place people want to check out as well as the Newport Tower.
2: Oh absolutely um, and there's all kinds of things um on the east coast as you mentioned. And um, there's a lot of hidden history there. And I, I think, you know, even though I think we've made a lot of really good progress, and, and it hasn't all just been me. I've, I've worked with a lot of really smart people who have shared their knowledge and and consulted with me and, and working together. We have uh, collectively really, I think, pushed the ball down the field um, a significant way. But I'll also say that there's a lot more work to do Um, And in many ways, we're really just scratching the surface of the mysteries that uh, are on this continent.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think the the really cool thing is that, you know, you you always, no matter matter when you think you have found it all, the reality is there's still so much more to go.
2: (laughs) It's like a Russian doll, right? You take it out. Another one inside, and then oop, there's another one, and oop, there's another one, and it just keeps going. It's that's exactly what's going on. <clears throat>
1: well, I and um, also y- your books, all of them, and, and Janet's book, are on Amazon. Um, you want to give out your website too? To make sure we well, get that. Yeah, in? you
2: can certainly get it on Amazon. But if you would like a signed copy, um, we signed all books that are bought off the website. Uh, it's www dot hookedx.com h-o-o-k-e-d-x.com and if you want it signed for somebody else like for you know a a birthday present or Christmas just there's a little place to write a note or pop me an email but it's worked out really good we've we've sold lots of books and so far people seem to enjoy it and um, I'm happy about that
1: well I think it's so far the best one you've written I really really do
2: I think so too I, I agree with you but I'm hoping the one I'm working on now will be even better. I can tell you it's the story is so good it's just it's up to it's just me it's up to me not to screw it up <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i as as somebody who's kind of in the field um I can tell you that immediately it was recognizable that there had been a shift in your perspective and
2: well there has there has and it was it was because i because I became a mason and it uh, um, you know, I, I, I the one, th- one of the things that we say when people say, "What is Freemasonry?" Well, it's about making good men better men. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like to think that I've, I've, I've bettered myself by, by becoming a Mason, and I, I, it, it certainly has given me a different perspective, and um, not only have I learned a lot more, and I think we've, we've made some. Important discoveries, but um, um, I've learned a lot more about myself, and I've I've grown myself as a as a as a human being, and that that that's important.
1: I know that uh, my mother used to ask my grandfather about the Freemasonry and all of the material and everything, and he would just smile and wink at her, and and it frustrated the daylights out of her, and. Um, Certainly later on when, when I was investigating Freemasonry because, um, you know, family family lore was that he had been a certain degree Mason, and I did my best to figure it all out. I did find he was in two different Blue Lodges, though, which was kind of fun. But uh, You can affiliate was,
2: with other lodges. I do. I'm, I'm a mm-hmm. member of, of more than one lodge, <clears throat> Blue Lodge.
1: I, I think that the fun part was one of the lodges um, – honored him at one time for his 50 years of service to the lodge. And when I spoke to the grandmaster um, at the, at the temple, the big temple uh, for New York, I said, I find this so hard to believe because it's right here in your, your document. You sent me that they that they handed out that they, that he was honored for 50 years of faithful service. I said, for most of those years, he was dead. And I'm pretty sure my grandmother wasn't paying the dues. So he said, "Well, that is rather strange, isn't it?" And I said, "Yeah." <laughs> they still haven't gotten back to me to explain it, which was, you know, it was it was nice they honored him, but yeah. I'm not sure how he served. must have been on the other side. But yeah, I, mean, um, I, I, I,
2: I, I don't know how that one would work, but uh, I'll let, I'll let, uh, I'll let New York's Grand Lodge take care of that. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be any place late? Uh, Next in the next couple of weeks, that that people can check you out at.
2: Well, I'm going to be like I say, I'll be out in um, at, at the uh, John Robinson Lodge in Lexington, Massachusetts, this Thursday. Um, I have another lecture coming up. Um, well, I'm going to be doing something that's Masonic related, uh, January 11th here locally. Um, that has to do with, um, well, it'll have to do with with the Runestone and and a lot of this research the craft is really starting to embrace this history that really is the craft's history. And I think that enough um, Masons are starting to see that the evidence supports the fact that this Templar history is also our history, and they should embrace it. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm excited about that. We've got some plans for the next couple years of some really exciting things coming up. And then uh, I'll be... um, I have another lecture here locally at uh, I think the BFW in in and I'm going to be seeing a bunch of my classmates from high school there. Uh and other people will show up for that one and then I have a big event in California on February 6th through the 9th um at uh at LAX Airport. It's called the Conscious Conscience Life Expo and I'll be one of the speakers there and I'll be on a panel for a panel discussion there. And that should be, uh, that should be exciting. So people, if they want to, if they're out in California or they want to go out there, they should check it out. That should be a lot of fun.
1: Okay. Well, I, we're, we're right down to the line. I want to thank you again. And also I will be on the lookout for your next book. Um, okay.
2: Well, and, Barbara, and thank you so much. I will let you know when we get close uh, on that one. I think this one will come pretty quick because it's, it's uh it's flowing out of me pretty fast and um and it'll dovetail very nicely with the cryptic code it'll it'll just it, it it they'll be like bookends um so stay tuned for that
1: i will definitely stay tuned want to thank everybody for listening and i so appreciate all of your time and your energy and uh we look forward to getting scott back again real soon thank you for <laughs> listening everybody and do check out the book and check out the website and check out our YouTube channel. And if you enjoy what you're listening to, please, please, please subscribe. Thanks a lot. And good night.
2: Thank you, Barbara.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye now.